Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Want to do part two of our author attribution podcast? I would love to do part two. You're listening to Linear Digressions. All right, so in the last episode, now if you haven't heard this episode, you can go back and listen to it if you'd like to, but the basic context is that you can we can use machine learning to figure out who wrote a piece of text or a body of work or a blog post or whatever the case may be, yeah. simply by looking at things like how often did they use these words or those words? Uh, do they use the word because or as a result? And other features. In other words, a unique fingerprint of the way that we write text. And I'm super excited because you have two more examples of this that we didn't get to in the last episode. So um, can you give me example number two? So this is one that is much more recent. This happened just a couple years ago. Have you read Harry Potter? Uh, yes, of course I have. And it sounds from your response like you're a fan. If what JK do you Rowling, take me for, a muggle? <laughs> if J.K. Rowling had another book that she had written, would you be interested in reading that as well? Not a Harry Potter book, but just some other book that she written. She does. Okay, but imagine... <laughs> you mean like a pseudonym one? That's where we're going with this, yeah. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Really, really? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, so here's the story. I'm uh, excited about this. <laughs> so this happened in, this blog post is from 2013, so about a year and a half ago okay, is wow. when this was posted, so you know, roughly contemporary then. And there had been a, a book written called The Cuckoo's Calling, and it was authored by someone named Robert Galbraith, which, who is that? Whatever. And know. so, you know, it was published and fine, whatever, mostly ignored. And there was a, a tip that went through on Twitter that I, I don't think even to this day we know exactly how this tip came out, but the tip was that J.K. Rowling was the author of, J.K. Rowling is, is Robert Galbraith. And of course, this would be very interesting because then as soon as everyone knows this, the, the book is gonna oh, sell a, a thousand times more copies. Yeah. And so what they did was they brought in some computational linguists to test out this hypothesis. And so they did the full text analysis on the cuckoo's calling and compared it to the type of writing that they saw in other J.K. Rowling books and also compared it to other authors so that you can have sort of a sense of, of calibration. Is it, if it's very close to J.K. Rowling and very far away from all your other samples, then that would be one thing. If it's sort of yeah. close to J.K. Rowling, but also sort of close to everyone else, then maybe it's not as, it's not as strong of an indicator. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah. So what they did was they uh, gave the text of this book, The Cuckoo's Calling, along with the text of some sort of benchmark works, some reference works by each of the different, there were five or six other authors that they compared it to. Mm -hmm. uh, and they gave this to Peter Milliken of Oxford University and Patrick Juola, I might be saying that wrong, of Duquesne. And then uh, Patrick Juola was kind enough to write up a, a blog post that sort of summarized the work that he did. Um, so he looked at a couple different things. First of all was the length of the words that were being used by the authors. And he found that that gave him some information, but actually wasn't that helpful because everyone tends to use words of average length. Um, <laughs> by definition. Yeah. yeah. But then he looked at things like the incidence of uh, how often more common words were used. So this isn't the length of the words now, but how often particular vocabulary is, is deployed and compared the cuckoo's calling sort of uh, linguistic fingerprint to the linguistic fingerprints of these authors mm -hmm. and found that it was 
it wasn't so conclusive that you could ever say for sure this has to be J.K. Rowling. Something like that is, is a difficult statement to make. But you could say something like, it's much, much more likely to be J.K. Rowling than any of the other reference authors. And so then with a statement like that, you can start to, as a, a reasonable human, start to infer that like, okay, maybe it is J.K. Rowling. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was he, he did this analysis sort of over the course of a few days after he had been asked to by a, a newspaper in London. And he responded like, yes, it, it looks like, it's a very strong indication linguistically that she has the same style as Robert Galbraith. Uh, and then with this piece of evidence in hand, they went to J.K. Rowling's agent and just said, like, point blank, did she write this? And they said, yeah, yeah, she did. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so I think Which seems to be the most strong piece of evidence you could possibly course, come up with. <laughs> so I, I think that's a really cool example. I mean, obviously, you need to know that you should be looking at this in the first place. Right. right. Yeah. So the, like, it was the it was the tip on Twitter that sort of started the whole ball rolling. But then once the ball is rolling and you have sort of this hypothesis that you can test, this was the same with the example that we did in the last episode with Madison and Hamilton. You need to know that those are the people that you should be looking at. But then once it's clear and you can test those hypotheses relative to each other, it, it's uh, it's very very powerful. Yeah, you can't test it on every book by every unknown author out there. Of course. There so this is this is totally something that you should already have some idea of what you're looking for and then it can give you either very strong affirmative evidence or it can, you know, sort Kinda of refute like waffle, it or yeah. yeah, yeah. The other example, this is maybe even more contemporary. Example this, 3. Number 3. Have <laughs> speaking of things, have you heard? Have you heard of Bitcoin? I have personally I've heard of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is one of those things that's very difficult to explain on a deep level, but fundamentally it is an open source decentralized virtual currency. So it's like dollar bills that you can send over computers. Kind of. And they work because math. Yes. Although dollar <laughs> bills, I guess, are very centralized. But yeah, it's it's a, what they call also a cryptocurrency. It's a yeah, way of they're... sending money around in a very high-tech way. Right, and they're cryptographically secure. No one can take your Bitcoins from you unless they have your private key or some kind of passphrase that maybe you know that leads to your private key. So it's almost it's almost like money that's secured behind a password. And the software behind it was described and implemented by this person named Satoshi Nakamoto, which Famously, nobody really knows exactly who this person is. Who is Satoshi? Yeah, and many people have tried to figure this out. So Satoshi wrote this white paper that describes the Bitcoin protocol. He also uh, is quite active, or historically has been quite active, on the Bitcoin forums, as people talk amongst themselves about how Bitcoin works. So we have a lot of writing examples from Satoshi. And we should be clear, we don't even know if Satoshi is a single person or a small group of people. So it could be confusing if, for example, Satoshi is actually a group of people and they're sharing that name. Yeah, and then they all get mixed in there together. But it's, of course, as humans, we're very curious to know who this mysterious Bitcoin creator is. And uh, Yeah, it couldn't be just anyone. The person who's behind this or the people behind this are highly, highly skilled. They know a lot about this particular field. They're really good at it. And that makes it 
something that, where textual analysis can be pretty helpful because then you have a fairly small group of people. Ah, you're not testing against every person on the planet. You're testing against a small group of reasonable hypotheses, and you're looking for these little linguistic fingerprints that really distinguish any one person's writing from anyone else's. Mm -hmm. So there's a really interesting blog post by someone named Sky Gray that actually did this linguistic analysis, and they compared the text from Satoshi Nakamoto to a cryptocurrency expert and computer science professor named Nick Szabo. And so the hypothesis is that Nick Szabo is Satoshi Nakamoto, and can we look for corroborating evidence for this similarity? And he finds some things that are really interesting that, that does point in that direction. So some of the things that Sky Gray names as uh, things that are very similar is repeated use of the phrase, of course, without isolating commas. So usually when someone writes, of oh. course, they say, the problem, of course, is that it's not open on Thursdays. They and usually commas put commas around sides. it. So the lack of commas is very interesting. The phrase can be characterized. Also something that's a little bit distinctive hmm. for our purposes. There are a list of these in uh, Sky Gray's blog post where he goes through all of this. And it's a little bit tricky to disentangle because Nick Szabo is, of course, really engaged in cryptocurrency discussions and thinking about what these would look like. So it's entirely possible. In fact, it's probably very, very plausible that Satoshi Nakamoto and Nick Szabo are, let's imagine that they're two different people, right? right? And they're in correspondence with each other. And so you can also imagine how the linguistic fingerprints of one start to rub off onto the Ooh, other. So it yeah. becomes it's so, very tricky to disentangle. This sounds really, really tricky. And there also there's uh, another thing to mention is that whoever this person or these people are, people believe that they're in possession of one million Bitcoins, roughly. That's a lot of money. There's a lot of money at stake. Yeah. So it's not just a fun mystery, but there's potentially large security concerns. And, there's tons of money sloshing around. Yeah, and there are tons also of groups, either governments or companies, to whom Bitcoin is the enemy. A yeah. secured cryptocurrency that's decentralized, you know, like the government in whatever country can't just go to the bank and say, this person's a criminal, you know, seize their assets or, or freeze their accounts. You just can't do that with Bitcoins. So if Bitcoins do get really big, there would be a lot of reasons to dislike whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is. Yeah, or at least to want to, you know, have him playing for your team, right? That yeah, I'm sure that's that, true too. I'm sure that the FBI wants to talk to this person, even if they're not <laughs> in trouble. So, you know, of course we're being, uh, we should always be very careful about even speculating too much that it that is any particular person. In fact, maybe you remember this a few months ago, Newsweek or some outfit tracked down this one guy in Los Angeles and, and claimed that he was oh, Satoshi yeah. Nakamoto. And, Dor Dorian Nakamoto. Yeah, right. And may or may not be. I'm a little bit skeptical myself. But there was a big furor about that because, you know, now it's this guy and everybody's worried that his house is going to get broken into because they're going to try to steal his, his bitcoins and stuff. So there actually is a lot at stake in knowing the answer to this question. So it's not a totally neutral thing to try to figure out who who this person is. And, and of course, it is, more, it is more complicated by the fact that all of these people who are really into cryptocurrencies are all talking to each other. Mm -hmm. And I should also say that the, that the evidence is not unequivocal for Nick Szabo. There are some, uh, one thing in particular comes to mind when I say this, Nick Szabo uh, uses the American spelling of the word favor 
Satoshi Nakamoto uses the British with the O-U-R ending. Mm. And so there's some question like, oh, maybe somebody else wrote that part of it, or maybe this is an intentional effort to obscure authorship. But it's something that makes the water a little bit more muddled. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's a, it's a mystery that I think is very safe to endure for a while yet. And beside this particular example, there are other situations where people have done this kind of analysis and found Satoshi Nakamoto's uh, writings to be linked to other people as well. So it's not it's not only that this kind of analysis says this guy's the guy. Yeah. So I think what you would really need to do is to go through a, a, a truly comprehensive search of all the people that it could be, and then, like we were saying with Hamilton and Madison in the Federalist Papers example. Or the J.K. Rowling example, too, you have to say, how much more likely is it to be Nick Szabo than anybody else in your in your group of people that you're looking at? Because if it says something like, oh, it's quite likely to be Nick Szabo, but it's quite likely to be a lot of other people as well, then maybe you haven't learned anything. So having those extra data points in there can be really helpful. All of this aside, this technique is so cool. I am glad you think so. This is actually one of our fundamental examples in the Intro to Machine Learning class. We have a bunch of real emails from a couple of people who worked at Enron. And we actually have that as an exercise to pull out all the text of the emails. And then you try to classify an email as being written by this guy, Chris, or this woman, Sarah. And it's uh, it's very effective. It's really uh, surprising how well it works. God, I have to take that course. Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning, produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity, a company dedicated to education. We've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity. This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.